This is Michael J. Fox. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Learn more about the Michael J. Fox Foundation's work and how you can help speed a cure at michaeljfox.org. Welcome to a recap of our latest Third Thursday webinar. Hear directly from expert panelists as they discuss Parkinson's research and answer your questions about living with the disease. Join us live next time by registering for an upcoming webinar at michaeljfox.org. and uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, I'm Larry Gifford, a proud member of the Michael J. Fox Foundation Patient Council, the founder of pdavengers.com, and the host of a podcast called When Life Gives You Parkinson's. Today, we are discussing how to navigate new Parkinson's diagnosis. We'll cover how to build your care team and ways to connect to the community and opportunities to participate in research. We have a lot to discuss today. Uh, and so let's get started and let's introduce our panelists. Phil Alonji is a journalist who left NBC News in 2009 to start his own production and consultancy program, Alonji Media. Uh, he was diagnosed with Parkinson's in 2019 and quickly jumped to action. When the landmark Parkinson's Progression Markers Initiative, or PPMI, began recruiting again late last year, Phil was the first newly diagnosed person to enroll. We'll talk more about that decision later this hour. Phil, welcome to the uh, panel. Thank you very much, Larry. It's good to be here. Dr. Jerome Lisk is a movement disorder specialist practicing in Texas. He sees people with Parkinson's at a range of experience with the disease from recently diagnosed to later stages. He's also been a primary site investigator for multiple Parkinson's clinical trials. Dr. Lisk, welcome to the panel. Thank you, Larry. Appreciate it. Glad to be here. And yeah, it's great to have you. And Dr. Marie St. Hilaire is a professor of neurology and director of the American Parkinson Disease Advanced Center of Research at Boston University. She is involved in direct care of people with Parkinson's and a range of research interests. Dr. St. Hilaire, thank you for being here. Thank you for inviting me. All right. So we have a, a full panel and a lot to get to. Uh, and for the newly diagnosed, this may, you know, we're going to try to keep this um, as, as top line as we can, but informational, because there is a, we can get into the weeds and we don't want to do that. We, but uh, we, we will uh, promise you that there will be many takeaways. I encourage you to take notes uh, because uh, you'll want to follow up maybe with some questions with your own neurologist or movement disorder specialist after this webinar. So what is Parkinson's? Whew, what a great question. You hear Parkinson's, you hear Parkinsonism, uh, and, and what is the difference and what do I have? Like, I, I remember when I, when I first got diagnosed, they're like, uh, yeah, it's probably Parkinson's. And I'm like, I have no idea. Like in my head, I'm like, I have no idea what that means. I know what Michael J. Fox had it and I knew Muhammad Ali had it, but I don't, what do they have? I, I don't know. My hand didn't do what theirs does. So uh, why don't we go ahead and, and define Parkinson's disease. Uh, Dr. Lisk, what, what, what are some of the common symptoms and what exactly is Parkinson's? So Parkinson's disease is a neurological disorder of the brain that affects primarily movement. And so uh, Parkinson's disease affects multiple chemicals in the brain, but the one that is most popular is dopamine. And when you have that lack of dopamine, you could have slowness of movement, which is really how Parkinson's will kind of start for a lot of people in the beginning, the second could be tremor and also stiffness. And this usually will happen on one side of the body uh, or the other. A lot of times it happens on your dominant side. And so Parkinson's disease is different for everyone. And the importance is, is that you get to a neurologist, movement disorder specialist, which we'll go in later. But as Parkinson's develops, there could be more new symptoms you could develop that the other chemicals that the brain becomes deficient in can start to manifest. And that's why it's really important to educate yourself and, and get in early, see someone. Yeah, I think one of the surprising things is, at least it was for me, uh, is I was collecting symptoms, but I didn't realize they were related. I just thought I was getting older. How, how does somebody know that it's not just aches and pains or you know, the, the, you know, oh, it's an essential tremor. It's not, a, not, not you know, it's nothing, it's nothing to worry about. Like people, uh, at least, I, I, I kind of just sort of dismissed them all until there was, there was enough of them. I'm like, something's wrong here. Uh, do you have any, you know, do you encounter that quite a bit? Yeah. So frequently what happens with Parkinson's disease and other Parkinson disorders 
is that you could have non-physical signs that start to happen before the physical signs. And if you're not aware of this and you're not, you know, you're not educated on it, like programs like yours have done a great job in educating people in social media in the community, there's a disorder called REM sleep behavior disorder that could be a warning sign where people will fight out their dreams. And some people get them confused with nightmares or sleepwalking. This is where the person is asleep and they are actually swinging or kicking or yelling at someone and they can even roll out of bed. This can happen 20 years before you have your first physical sign of Parkinson's disease. If you all of a sudden lose your smell and there's not an explanation, that could be a sign of not only Parkinson's disease, Sometimes that happens in Alzheimer's too, but Parkinson's disease is probably you know more popular for that to happen in, um, and also other things such as there are softer signs like constipation, depression, anxiety could happen as well. But the big thing that we know is abnormal is if you're acting out your dreams, because sixty to eighty percent of those patients will develop a Parkinson disorder, like Parkinson disease, multiple system atrophy, or Lewy body dementia. Great, thank you. Uh, let's let's talk about the the path of navigating Parkinson's disease. I, 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 everybody's journey is so different, and I know early on, uh, Doctor Saint Hilaire, it, it's 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 hard not to go. Well, that person has this symptom, or there's on that pill, and they, there's a lot of comparison going on, especially between the newly diagnosed. Uh, can you talk about you know how how unique everybody's journey is, and and why it's important to really just focus on your own health? Yeah, so uh, everybody has a different uh, progression and is on different medications. But um, for most people, um, it takes at least two years to uh, get to a diagnosis. Um, it's, it's not unusual that patients have seen an orthopedic surgeon before or um, uh, you know, sleep specialists because they're acting out their dreams, like Dr. List mentioned. So um, people can get to the movement disorder specialist through different uh, pathways. Some people, it's their physical therapist who said, you know, you should go see a, a neurologist. Um, so, um, you know, it, it might take a while to get diagnosed because we still don't have a specific test for Parkinson. The diagnosis is made clinically. So it's important to see somebody who has experience in diagnosing Parkinson, like a movement disorder specialist. And initially, when we see a patient, we might not be sure it's Parkinson's disease because there are various causes of Parkinsonism. So Parkinsonism, if you hear the term Parkinsonism, it could, it's an umbrella term that uh, covers Parkinson's disease, but other causes of Parkinson's symptoms, like sometimes it's caused by medication, sometimes it's caused by a condition like multi-system atrophy, which Dr. Liz mentioned. So the movement disorder specialist's role is to try to tease out really what is the cause of your Parkinsonian symptoms. And initially, it might be difficult because we still don't have a test. That's why Michael J. Fox is doing that PPMI study is trying to find a biomarker. But um, so it might take a little while to get to the diagnosis. And when um, you get a diagnosis, um, then you have to discuss with the person um, about the treatment. At this point, we don't have any treatment that slows down the progression of the disease. But there's plenty of opportunities if you're interested to get involved in research. And we'll talk about that. But also discuss with the uh, physician what are the symptoms that bother you the most if you feel that you need treatment for those symptoms, or if you feel you can function well enough without treatment for a while. And everybody is different. Um, and the type of treatment you will start really depend on the age, on your degree, degree of disability, the type of work you do. So it, it's, um, it's a process with, with your doctor. And it's not like you're going to go see a movement disorder specialist gets the get the certain diagnosis right away and get the medication right away. It, it might take a little while to get to, um, to the diagnosis and the right treatment for you. I, and I was, I was going to just add to that, that when you are first going to a movement disorder specialist, 
as far as the medications concerned, I know in, in my case, they started me at the lowest dose possible. And then every time I saw him, as I talked to him about my symptoms and about how, how, what was bothering me, what was holding me back from living my life the way I wanted to, he would increase that. And, I, and after a while, it felt like my disease was getting worse. But then I later realized he was just trying to give me a, a little bit of the time to, in order to get to the level I needed rather than push me too far. Is that a, a pretty typical plan for, for progression of medication? Yes, usually we start with the, uh, the medication in, that is the, the lowest dose that is helpful for the symptoms uh, without causing side effect. So, and a lot of these medications can cause some nausea or certain other types of side effects. So we start with a very low, low dose and build it up very slowly and see if you can get at a good level where you have a good um, control of your symptoms without having too, too much or having no side effect. And uh, as time goes on, uh, we try to add, we might have to add other medications, um, a combination of medications, but you can speak to many people who have Parkinson and everybody can be on a different combination or a different dosage. It just depends on how they react to the medication, how they respond to the medication, what side effects they have, or, you know, just the, the uh, unique, uh, you know, lifestyle can, uh, can influence the medication we lose we use or the uh, the age of person also. Yeah. And, and yeah. just to, to, to double up on that, I mean, you think about somebody like me who's, you know, pushing 300 pounds. Uh, if you weigh 125 pounds, you know, it's, it's it obviously takes more medicine to put down a, a larger person than it does, it does a smaller person. And if you're more active, you may, so, so it just depends on your lifestyle. And, and the, the other thing that you said that I, I, I want to just reemphasize is that when you go to a movement disorder specialist or, or a neurologist or your general practitioner, and you are a person with Parkinson's, this is your time. Um, this is not the doctor's time. This is your time with the doctor. Uh, and the doctor is part of your care team. And so what you really want to do is make sure that you go there with an agenda, that you go there with a list of things that you've talked about with your partner, about what's holding you back from living the life that you want to live. What are the things that bother you the most? Because we they won't be able to tackle everything all at once. But if you go with the most important things to you, so, you know, whether that's, you know, maybe you want to continue running and you've got a gait issue. Well, then, they, then they can help you, you know, work towards that. Um, and I think it's important to understand that it's not just you just showing up, going, "What next?" You're part of the team, and you're the leader of the team. So you have you have to communicate uh, pretty aggressively with your care team. Yeah. So it's not like being treated for hypertension, like the doctor measures the blood pressure and says, "Oh, you have to increase your your medicine." It's really a constant um, uh, you know discussion with with your care team your physician and you know physical therapist about your symptoms and what bothers you and what's important to you you know some people come and might want to discuss their sleep problems because you really have a lot of sleep problems or other people it's more the tremor that prevents them from playing golf i mean everybody has different goals for their treatment so that's why it's really important for the physician uh, to to know what's really bothering you and what are your goals and your treatment. And one of the other things when you're newly diagnosed that really kind of plays with your head, and I know it did for me for a while, is who do I tell? When do I tell them? What kind of reactions should I expect? So I want to bring uh, Phil Alonji in here, uh, who is fairly newly diagnosed. Uh, Phil, what was your process for uh, sharing your diagnosis? Like everyone else, Larry, I initially took the approach like I was ashamed of it and I was embarrassed by it and I was keeping it as a secret. But I slowly realized that, especially with the Michael J. Fox Foundation help and people I was talking to there, that there was nothing that I did wrong and I shouldn't be ashamed and actually I should take a more active role because hearing from someone, another person that has it, I found already is helpful not only to me but to them. And, and when I found out about the PPMI program, that's why I raised my hand as high as I could. And I said, if there's any way I could help find whatever it is that causes this disease or how it all manifests itself, I want to be part of it. Uh, perhaps it'll help me, perhaps not. But if it'll help someone down the road, I'm happy to be there to be part of that process as well. How did you tell your family? 
Um, what was interesting when we, uh, for, I'm very fortunate, I have a very good primary doctor and the urologist that I went to, uh, the neurologist was, was immediately, that was the first thing he said he wanted to check. And it's not that my symptoms were that uh, obvious. At that point, I didn't have tremors or whatever. It was just he was very perceptive in doing this. Uh, so I did tell my wife very quietly, uh, and then we broke it. We spread it around first to siblings. And I have two boys that are, are really fine young men. And I've started sharing it even more with my extended family. And by extended family, I mean colleagues from my, my work, uh, people that we were in the trenches together for many years. And everyone has been extremely supportive. But what has also been extremely helpful is to hear about the different types of programs that are out there. Uh, just very interestingly enough, one, one Sunday at church, I noticed a person that I never really spoke to before who was sitting there and I saw tremors. And this was shortly after I was diagnosed. And I said to the wife, I said, may I ask you what this is? And when she told me, uh, she immediately started spilling out about what I should look into and what I should do. So that's that further cemented in my mind that you need to be more vocal about this and you need to be more proactive about this. And there is no reason to hide it. I, I was about nine months post-diagnosis listening to a Michael J. Fox Foundation uh, Parkinson's podcast. Uh, and I heard um, Dr. Ray Dorsey say, if people with Parkinson's don't start sharing their stories, We'll never get uh, enough attention to raise enough resources to do enough research to find a cure. And I, I thought about that. And, you know, I've been in media my whole life and telling stories, and I'm a storyteller. And I, I'm uh, the national director of talk radio here in Canada for, for a company. And we have TV stations and a huge website. And I thought, well, I have the platform. I've got the ability to tell a story. And here I am hiding my disease from even my, co my colleagues and my coworkers. And so I thought, well, if I don't do it, who will? And that's how we started the podcast with Life Gives You Parkinson's. And it's, it's really a platform to share the stories. Because, and, and what I found was, the fears that I had were unwarranted because the support that I get back now from uh, not just my uh, family and friends, but my colleagues and my workplace, it's just unbelievable. And, you know, they're pretty much like, whatever you need, let us know. And they've, they've mm -hmm. been there at every turn of everything I've done, including they distribute the podcast I mean, it's, and give me promotional time on radio and TV to talk about it and to raise awareness of Parkinson's. Uh, and mm -hmm. so and you, obviously not everybody has that opportunity, but whatever that is for you, you know, some people put it on Facebook and some people don't, some people, you know, everybody's different. So whatever you're comfortable with, there's no right answer. You don't have to tell your work, but if you feel comfortable enough, you can. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it, but, but, you know, you can ask, uh, you know, there's a lot of people here to ask. There's, you know, Michael J. Fox Foundation has a lot of great resources. You can, uh, there's a guide for the newly diagnosed. There's Parkinson's 60. Uh, so, uh, just check out uh, the resource area of the Michael J. Fox website, uh, and, and you'll be able to get some more information on that. Um, we're going to transition now into building your care team. We've talked about the, the neurologist and the, the movement disorder specialist and, and and Dr. List, maybe you can define the difference between a neurologist and a movement disorder specialist. Like, what what is the what what are the differences in their roles uh, as it, as it pertains to Parkinson's? And and what would you prefer, or what's the preferred uh, you know role? Uh, uh, just a basic neurologist, or would you rather somebody with Parkinson's see a movement disorder specialist? Okay, great question, Larry. So let's start off by saying that when a doctor does go to neurology residency, they get general training. And then you decide if you want to be a general neurologist or you want to do something called a fellowship. A fellowship is something where you do focus training for one to two years on one thing, such as epilepsy or stroke or movement disorders. Movement disorders comprises Parkinson's disease, essential tremor, cervical dystonia, Huntington's disease, and other movement disorders. Okay. So when you Usually people will find a general neurologist initially because they don't know the difference and they don't even know what disorder specialists exist or know what the term means. And so if you do know that and you think you're having symptoms of Parkinsonism or Parkinson disorder or Parkinson syndrome, which those are all synonymous, then what you want to do is you want to initially seek out a movement disorder specialist, okay? Because that person, as, um, as Bill was saying, that person is going to 
either if your symptoms are not very obvious, that the movement disorder specialist is going to be able to tease it out easier than usually than a general neurologist. And so everyone, everyone presents differently. Some people may present with tremor. Some people have come in my office and said, well, I don't even think I have Parkinson's because I have no tremor. You don't have to have tremor to have Parkinson's disease. So when someone does this every single day of their life, that's important to do. Now, the important thing to also know is that any general neurologist could call themselves a movement disorder specialist based on them saying, I just see a lot of patients. So what you want to do is you want to ask, because there's, there's, no, there's no board exam for the movement disorder fellowships, that's subspecialty. So what you want to do is you want to ask, have you done a fellowship in movement disorders? Is that doctor fellowship trained in movement disorders? Are they just calling them this because it's based on them just seeing a lot of people in their clinic? Right. So the other thing I want to point out is that a movement disorder specialist, as you go through your journey through Parkinson's disease, it, and we say if there's no cookie cutter treatment, everybody is different. When you go to support groups, online forums, what works for you won't work for someone else. Some patients come in, they want to avoid medication. Some patients come in and they want a medication now and they want a more aggressive therapy. So we're, we're in tune to get, really getting to know our patients and knowing what they, what, you know, kind of how to implement that therapy and try to do, we know all the programs such as um, there's a lot of exercise programs out there that we could do. As you progress through Parkinson's disease, there will be things that may come up such as blood pressure changes or aesthetic hypotension, bladder problems, uh, some dementia later on in life within you know, 10 years or 15 years or so, psychosis, uh, sleep problems. And we tend to treat those things as well instead of sending you to a psychiatrist or urologist or to a cardiologist. So it's almost like a comprehensive one-stop shop and it's an educational resource for patients where if you don't know all these programs or Michael J. Fox or the PPMI, the movement disorder specialist is going to go be going to national conferences, research conferences, and they're going to be, they're going to know all the things available for you to get your resources and the things that treat you naturally without medication. Right. Yeah, that's great. And we'll get into some diet and exercise coming up here in just a minute because it's important. Uh, let's talk about some of those treatment options, Dr. St. Hilaire. Uh, you know, taking a high-level look, how, how, what are the latest techniques for treating uh, a newly diagnosed Parkinson's patient? Well, um, you know, everybody comes to the diagnosis from a different point. Some people uh, have read a lot about Parkinson and might have already made their opinion. Other people have family members who've had Parkinson or know people who've had Parkinson. Other people don't know anything about Parkinson. Um, so one thing first when we give a diagnosis or discuss a diagnosis is we have to gauge where the person is in their in their um, you know along the the path and um you know just have them think about what they are doing now that they cannot they cannot do now what they could do in the past so uh, you know, so having difficulties in doing activities of daily living or hobbies or functioning at work would all be reasons to start medication. There are patients who are not very disabled by the symptoms and prefer not to start medication. Uh, and that's it's also a good choice for them if, if it works for them. Um, usually, um, the way we start medication, if you need to, to start medication, is um we, we look at the primary symptom and the age of the person and the other medical condition. In general, I mean, it's really very general, the younger patients, so people who are diagnosed before the age of 60, we tend to um, delay the use of levodopa because it can cause abnormal movement. So we would start with another medication, like a dopamine agonist. And eventually, if the symptoms progress, eventually add levodopa. But in older patients where the dyskinesias is as high, we might start right away with levodopa. There are other medications we can also use early on if the symptoms are mild, like prestagiline, taken once a day and very well tolerated. 
or another medication called amantadine, which is a medication um, that helps. So really, it's a discussion with the, the patient about what her symptoms are bothering them, if they feel they need a medication, or if they, they want to wait for medication. And if they want to wait, I would encourage them to participate in a um, research. We're going to discuss research later on. But Dr. Chinkler, I'm going to pause you for a minute because you're breaking up a little bit. I just want to repeat what you said. So what, what Dr. St. Hilaire is, is saying is that if you decide to delay taking medication, you are a prime candidate for research. And I think that's really important to understand uh, because uh, if once you start taking the medication, there, there are some research opportunities that close off to you. Um, but uh, and it's like for in my case, the micrographia and the typing issues I was having made it so I I, I went on I went on the uh, 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 levodopa right away, uh, and it it almost instantly allowed me to type again and to write better and like it was it was a miracle for me. Like I I thought I'd lost that ability forever, and I think that's another thing that people feel like if they like I I had a horrible walk and a like a, a foot drop and. And, you know, through physiotherapy and, and, and through through the uh, levodopa, I mean, I'm able to to make that better. And so I, I think one of the one of the things that people need to understand is once you have a symptom, it doesn't mean that that symptom's there forever, or, or that you can't treat it and get better. Before, you know, even though it is a progressive degenerative disease, uh, there are ways to address these issues so you can continue to live a productive and and and, uh, and happy life with Parkinson's. Absolutely, and your, your, your work, some, for some people, the ability to be able to work, it's really important and would be one of the reasons why you would want to start with the effective medication. For sure. Um, let's talk about the care team. Um, you know, I, 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 uh, I was never a doctor guy. <laughs> no offense, but I didn't like doctors. I never went to a doctor. I didn't have any regular medication. I, I was I was living a great life, and then 45 came, and now I'm, you know, uh, suddenly I'm seeing a neurologist, and at 47 I get a urologist, and I have a physical therapist, and I'm seeing my pharmacist every week. I feel like we're, you know, I, I see them more than my brothers. Like he's part of the family, uh, and so uh, who, who, how do you how do you decide who's on your care team? Who should be on your care team? Uh, I, we can just do a round robin. Let's let's uh, let's start with. Uh, you know, uh, let's start with Phil. Phil, what's your care team look like today? Uh, and then uh, what do you think may be missing from it? My care team today is I, I do fortunately have a movement disorder specialist in Manhattan that I that I see every three months and we check in with one another periodically as needed. But I also have a very good local neurologist, as I already mentioned, who was very quick in, in figuring out what my issue was. Uh, I also spend two days a week with an occupational therapist uh, to work on, on my motor skills to make sure that I can continue uh, because I've taken the, a different road. I, I've opted not to start the drugs as much as possible to kick them down the road, and, and my family supports that decision, as, as do my doctors. Uh, so I feel I'm able to control what I need to do to, in order to accomplish my work goals and my family goals. I also have a physical therapist for two other days. Uh, I'm very active uh, outside as well of the uh, sessions that I have with my therapist. I generally walk somewhere in the two to three mile range on a given day when the weather is even nicer or longer. Uh, I had been hoping to start a Rocksteady boxing program, but as we all know with the pandemic, everything is shut down. But what has been a great tool for me, and, and I would highly recommend this, is look at YouTube. There are some amazing, amazing videos on YouTube that you could actually work on your own to keep your skills and your motor skills uh, practice as, as best as possible. Yeah, there's a lot of great free resources out there. Uh, and and uh, there's some, uh, many of them are listed on the Michael J. Fox Foundation website, michaeljfox.org. Enjoying this podcast, share it with a friend or rate and review it on iTunes. It helps listeners like you find and support our mission. MichaelJFox.org. Thanks for listening. Now, back to the podcast. Uh, 
Uh, Dr. Lisk, uh, let's talk about the care team. Who, who, what would you suggest uh, people, uh, how, how, they, how would you suggest people build, uh, build their care team? Well, care teams are different for everyone. So um, I, I, I'll tell you my clinical experience is that uh, I've had patients come to me from a general neurologist, as Bill was saying, and I want to be respectful to that neurologist. So sometimes I will see the patient uh, and they'll see their neurologist as well. But I think it's important to find your movement disorder specialist. That may be your only neurologist, and that's fine. I think a lot of your neurologists are okay with that. Um, I think that physical, we, we know that there's a lot of research in exercise and exercise secreting chemicals that help Parkinson's disease. So getting with a physical therapist and a physical therapist, this is a physical therapy center where you find a good physical therapist, occupational therapy, um, and then really your, your movement disorder specialist is then going to then start guiding your medical care team because Pasadena, California is different than Dallas, Texas. So when I was in Pasadena, California, I had a really good urologist that I could send all my Parkinson's patients to because we talked, I told him about the challenges. Um, we spent several phone calls together. And so I trusted him. Um, I've given other communities where the other medical specialties don't really know anything about Parkinson's disease. The patients know more than them. So uh, like, you know, orthopedic surgeon uh, or urologist or psychiatrist may not, you know, they may give a Parkinson's patients how to. So sometimes your, your movement disorder specialist will help guide your care team. I think it's very important to find somebody in your personal life, get a good support group um, around you, those people that, that, that you care, you love, your friends, uh, family. You need a good personal support team as well as a medical support team. And that might even include a pet. Yes, pet, pet therapies are, is, I think that helps a lot of depression and anxiety. I mean, having yeah. a little fur, cute animal with you, I mean, <laughs> who could go wrong? <laughs> so I think it's important, you know, and something that it's, I've had so many Parkinson's patients that I've said, you know, how can I get this, this guy, to, this woman to exercise? And I said, do you have a dog? That's what my, do you have an animal? They said, yeah. I said, walks the dog. My wife walks the dog. I said, okay, now you're walking the dog. <laughs> and when you walk that dog, I want you to try to keep up with that dog, but, but walk safely. And eventually one guy said, now the dog's trying to keep up with me. <laughs> so, <laughs> and so, and, and he's getting out, he's getting out the house. He's talking to people on the sidewalk and he's socializing more. His depression is better. His anxiety is better. So some of these little things that we try to think of, like Dr. Uh, St. Hilaire said, there's some of these personal things with lifestyle, how active you are, that we want to learn about our patient. A lot of this is about learning about your patient and then implementing those therapies that your patients will be receptive to. Dr. St. Hilaire, what's your experience with building a care team? Well, I don't have too much to add. I totally agree that you have to get, you know, physical therapy, get involved in exercise, um, that your neurologist or movement disorder specialist can guide you to specialists to help you if you have certain symptoms like urological symptoms. But so the, the only thing I would add is get a good primary care physician. Because yes. um, somebody who takes you seriously when you bring you come in and you have, for example, fatigue, which is very frequent in Parkinson, and say, "Oh, it's your Parkinson, and don't worry about it." I, I, I um, you know, somebody who's a good physician would say, "Well, let's. It could be your Parkinson, but let's be sure you're not having problems with your thyroid, that you're not anemic." So, um, in a primary care, who will be happy to to collaborate with the movement disorder specialist if the, they notice something on the exam or your blood pressure is going down and they're, they're concerned that your blood pressure is too low. Um, so I think that uh, would be the last person I would add to your care team, a good, a good primary care. Go ahead, Dr. Lisk. Add and piggyback on that um, because you were telling patients about coming in with a list before. I think every patient needs to know that Healthcare providers are very busy. 
clinics are packed, everyone's running, you know, trying to take care of patients. It is very helpful for you as the patient to tell your primary care, tell your movement disorder specialist, we're running from room to room, your physical therapist, please communicate with my other doctors. When patients tell me that, it's always on my mind, when we, but when patients tell me that, it gets to the forefront of my mind. So um, that is really important. Tell, tell yeah. your doctors, encourage your doctors to communicate with each other. I, uh, I think this is probably the best device that I've found. I, I keep a, a diary of like, odd things that I can't, you know, whether I start tremoring in the middle of the day and I'm not sure why or whatever. I put down the date and the time when I took my last medication and I, I try to keep track of that. And so then by the time it's time for my, my doctor's appointment, I can look through that and see if there's any trends that I should be talking about. Uh, I also put down all my medications in here in case I, I'm in an emergency and uh, or I, I go to you know a new doctor and they want to know oh what, what medication are you on I can just forward them this list uh, I also I have all my doctor's information on here too at the same page so it's just one sheet that I update and I send to my doctors and my wife anytime it gets updated uh, and yeah, I think that's really important. Jeez, <laughs> what? I'd love to have you as a patient. Give it all together. We don't even have a computer. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and I, I would say the uh, the other thing that, you know, my, my wife is a, a, a huge um, uh, part of my support team. She is my partner in Parkinson's. Um, we have a son who's 11, and it can be tough with kids. Um, and so what we did with my son is his job, we gave him a job, and we were given that advice, like, for kids, you, you, they they want to help, but they don't know how to help. And so his job for probably the first, you know, year and a half was to just, whenever you see daddy trimmer, let him know that he's trimmering. And so just, so he, his, he was on the lookout for it. Um, and, and for him, he felt like he was helping because, hey, dad, your, your arm's moving. And then he'd hold it you know, or whatever, to help try to stop it. But he felt like part of the process. And then part of, we'd have him on the podcast to talk about what he's feeling about, you know, dad having Parkinson's and what questions does he have? And, and you know, why can't we, you know, roughhouse as much as we used to or things like that. And, and, and just involving him in the whole thing has been great. And now he, uh, I feel like he, he's a more empathetic child because of that. That's beautiful. I, I, I didn't I didn't think of getting the kids involved. I didn't think of that. That's beautiful. Yeah. So it, it, it can be any job. Like I take pills every two and a half hours. A lot of people, when they're first starting, maybe take pills in the morning or take pills at night. And you can say, hey, make sure you remind me tomorrow morning to take my medicine. Like just give them a job so they feel like they're part of, of this big thing that's happening to the family. Um, Speaking of big things, uh, we are. Uh, I want to talk about PPMI. We're going to take a break. I'm going to give the panelists just a just a minute to breathe. But I want to talk about PPMI, and this is um, the foundation's landmark study uh, that is speeding treatment breakthroughs. Now, this is so important, and they're going on to their next phase. We'll talk about some opportunities to participate in it uh, a little bit later, but I wanted to call out the PPMI, also known as the Parkinson's Progression Markers Initiative, is recruiting now. Uh, and this is, this is a study that could change everything about the doctor's diagnosis, how they manage patients, how they treat Parkinson's disease. Like, I know that sounds like, whoa, it can change everything. That seems a little hyperbolic. This could change everything. So if you have not started your medication yet and you want to participate in research, we encourage you to, to volunteer for the PPMI. And you, you could be part of the key that unlocks the mystery of Parkinson's. Mm -hmm. People with Parkinson's diagnosed within two years, um, so sites are open until you've Within the last two years we've been diagnosed, the sites are open now, ready for you. We'll find a list of the sites and their contact information on the resource list. Uh, the study also needs parents, brothers, sisters, and children of Parkinson's uh, to take a short survey to see if you're eligible. Uh, uh, and you can do that at michaeljfox.org. So you can get the whole family involved, michaeljfox.org slash survey michaeljfox.org slash PPMI survey. It's also in the resource list. Um, and, and please, we will not 
there's nobody, there's no other group of people. It's it's on us. They can't do research without people volunteering. And so a lot of people are like, hey, when are they going to come up with that cure for Parkinson's? Well, we have to say, test me. I'll be, I'll be, I'll be part of the process. And if we don't volunteer, the research doesn't get done because the doctors are only one half of it and we're the other half. So I encourage you to, if you, if you are diagnosed within the last two years and you have not started on levodopa, please just investigate the PPMI. Uh, thank you. Uh, let's get back to the panel. Uh, my, my, my ranching is over. Um, but uh, you know, it is really important. Uh, you know, uh, and, and there, there's, there's a lot of things you can do. You, you, can, you can advocate in, in a number of different ways for yourself. Uh, and, and I think advocating uh, for yourself is really important, whether you're advocating at the doctor's office or sleep help or, or advocating uh, at your office for, you know, one thing, they put a new door on my office and it was a turn handle instead of a lever. I said, guys, it'd be just so much easier if it was a lever instead of a turn handle. Uh, there's, there's times when I'm off on my meds and I cannot turn a doorknob. So yeah. like little things like that that nobody else thinks about, you have to ask for it. Um, but what are some other practical tips and stuff that we've discovered? Uh, so Dr. Lisk uh, and Dr. St. Hilaire, uh, what, are, what are some recommendations that you have for uh, just, let's start with living a healthy lifestyle. So uh, I think it's really important to exercise regularly. Uh, as I mentioned, we don't have any treatment to slow down the progression of the disease, although there is some research going on to see if uh, uh, regular exercise does slow down progression. But uh, we know that people do better if they um, exercise. It has to be at least 150 minutes a week, and it has to have a combination of strengthening, balance, uh, stretching, and aerobic exercise. And that's why, you know, um, consulting a physical therapist who has experience in Parkinson is really important that he can tell you which are the exercise that are good for you and follow you regularly and be sure you're you're challenging yourself. It's important when you exercise that you challenge yourself. If an exercise is too easy, means you have to to ramp it up a little bit. Um, I think it's important to educate yourself about Parkinson. They are, for example, we have some good start program for early or recently diagnosed patients where we discuss about, you know, it's a couple of evenings where we discuss about Parkinson more in detail and medications and the role of exercise in, in mm -hmm. Parkinson. Um, and uh, we talk also about the, uh, having a healthy diet. There's no specific diet that is recommended in Parkinson, although there's some data that a Mediterranean diet might be beneficial. Um, I'll let Dr. Liss. We know why uh, that is. Why, why is it? Why uh, I'll be hearing that more and more. What is it about the Mediterranean diet that we're like? Yeah, that's probably a pretty good thing to do. Um, the, uh, it's just that there are some studies showing that people uh, eating a Mediterranean diet had a lower risk of, of Parkinson. So when people ask me what is the best diet, I say uh, have, follow a Mediterranean diet. It's also good for your heart. Um, you know, it's uh, good for your weight. So it, it is a healthy, uh, healthy way of eating. Yeah, it's uh, less, less, less carbs. It's more. It's more pescatarian style. It's it's a lot more fish, and you know, it's just a little little more vegetables and you know, fruits, and it's more more of a balance that way. I think. Yeah, I think also the important thing to remember when we talk about diet is that the, if you're on levodopa, um, the food in your stomach can decrease the absorption of the medication. So we tell people to take their levodopa away from the meals. And, and so let's let's talk about that. Um, if they're talking mostly about proteins, right? Uh, and when yeah. when 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 do you suggest people eat before, or how long do they wait before or after taking a pill? I usually say wait twenty to thirty minutes after taking your your levodopa to eat, or if you have you have eaten, wait at least an hour after having eaten to take your medication, if it's possible. Yeah, and Dr. Lisk, how important is it to take your levodopa at the same time every day? I think it's very important to take at the same time every day. And 
Um, you know, when patients come into the clinic, they don't know what off and on is. They don't know what dyskinesias are. Dr. St. Hilaire talked about different levels of education. You talked about key, keeping uh, your information on your phone. Um, if, you, if you're not technically savvy, write this stuff down. Get support from people in the home, like, you know, children, the wife. Because people with Parkinson's disease aren't always aware that their symptoms are occurring. And so it's good to have someone let you know that. And so when you come in with this information, it makes your visit so much faster. For me, anyway, I think for all of us, so much easier when you say, this is the time I'm having trouble during the day. This is the time my medication's wearing off. I'm turning off. My symptoms are worse. Then your movement disorder specialist could say, okay, then I'll take this medication. I'll move it here. Or I'll switch this immediate release medication to a longer acting medication. So we're trying to plug the holes in, in the boat. We're, we're, we're trying to cover the gaps in your day. So you have more functional on time uh, during the day. And Larry, I want to bring up one thing you mentioned about um, we talked about the PPMI. I had one patient tell me, well, why should I be interested in, you know, like biomarkers? Because when, I, I know when I have Parkinson's because you can see it. People, mm -hmm. are under that, people are under that misconception that when you see Parkinson's, your first very tiny symptom of Parkinson's disease, that's when it begins. Parkinson's disease will start, in your, will start in your brain, we know from looking at DATS, these imaging studies, and et cetera, 20 years before you have your full physical symptoms. That's why this PPMI is so important to find a biomarker, because by the time you have your first physical symptom, your brain is halfway in the disease process. We want to get early. So you think of any time that you lose more than 30% of nerve cells in a population, if you hit a, a, a city with a bomb and you, you destroy more than 30%, well, you're doing damage control now. We want to get that neural population when it's just starting to degenerate so we could save nerve cells and we could only do that with a biomarker, jumping in early. There's no disease on the planet that benefits from jumping in late. Yeah, and you're 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 right. Uh, and it's uh, it, it, when you're first diagnosed, you don't realize. You think you, it's like oh, it's not like oh, we just found a tumor and you have now have cancer. It's this is this has been taking a toll on your body for years and years, and now it's done so much damage that it's starting to affect you know your movements or or your depression and anxiety and. It's interesting. You talked about, you know, how family members can see different things. Uh, you know, my, 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 I realized I was having some, uh, some, uh, some anxiety or, uh, anger issues. Like I'd anger quicker. And my, when my son goes, dad, why are you so mad all the time? You know, it's like, Oh, I didn't realize I was like, I was, you know, and so it, it, it can be a real check and it can be a gut check sometimes where you're like, well, sorry, son, I didn't mean to yell at you, but I talked to a patient and told them about that depression, anxiety they've been experiencing for the past three or four years was the Parkinson disease probably, and not really them, their, their, their personality with their, their, um, they're blaming themselves for how they're behaving and they're acting for their, for their depression, anxiety. And just a relief to know it's not me, it's the disease, and I can get treatment for it. You know? Yeah, it's and not it's not a reaction it's not to the diagnosis. It's yeah, part it's of the disease. Yeah, it's not who you are. It's the disease yeah. and the chemicals that there's more than one chemical in the brain that is that is uh um decreasing. Yeah. Uh, it's it's uh, it's really exciting. There's a new program that the Michael J. Fox Foundation is beginning to launch, uh, and it's you can sign up for it now. It's in beta testing. It's a Parkinson's Buddy Network, uh, and it's online. Um, anyone can sign up for it. It's designed to connect members of the Parkinson's community, and there are resources and a group for the newly diagnosed, so you can connect up and you know just so so you have somebody like if you're not ready to share it with your friends and stuff, here's a place, a safe place you can go talk to other people that are going through the same thing or a similar situation that you're going through and you work together. It's so like, I, you know, I've, I've created my own buddy system over the course of the years around the world. Now I've got friends. I went to the world Parkinson Congress in Kyoto a couple of years ago and met just tons of people uh, that are just great. I mean, this, this community, I'm, you know, people say, think it's weird, but I oftentimes say Parkinson's has been a blessing because I, I would have never met such an awesome community of people. I would have never had that opportunity. Uh, and I feel so fulfilled uh, having had that opportunity. And so uh, 
get to know people because this is this is a, a really interesting group of uh, of people that have Parkinson's and and we're all in this together, you know. And it's a, it's a big group. It's the fastest growing neurological condition in the world. So hey, we're we're trendy too. Hey, hey, Phil, welcome back. I know you uh, dropped off there for a minute. Uh, technical issues from the, uh, the the senior producer of the program. Nice. Yes, uh, I know. Thanks. <laughs> I really appreciate that. But unfortunately, I do have a backup laptop standing by all the time. I just needed to get it going very quickly. Because you are a pro, my friend. Uh, let's talk about symptoms. How are you managing some of your symptoms? Well, like we were all, everyone else has been saying, uh, the support network that, that you have is critical to all of this. So I fortunately have a great life partner and my wife. Uh, when she was even listening last week to the prep meeting we did and picked up immediately, we have now switched over to the Mediterranean diet in this house. And she started cooking in, in that regard. So my wife has been very responsive. Uh, in terms of managing the symptoms, I've tried my best to push through. Uh, I've never been one in life to just take things lying down. And, and for, in terms of talking to others within the community, you find out about things that you should do and you should try. But uh, with the uh, two therapists that I work with, uh, between the two, the two of them, plus my family, uh, my wife makes sure that I get my butt off the couch and, and do what I'm supposed to do. And she reminds me, you know, I haven't seen the YouTube uh, videos lately. Let's get going on that. So it, it's very good to have someone who's going to push you, especially on those days when you just don't feel like doing anything. Yeah, for sure. There's a lot of great groups out there. Uh, there's Dance for PD. There's uh, I actually started uh, Improv for Parkinson's in Vancouver, and we do improv online every week, and uh, it helps with the you know just paying attention and listening and neuro creating new neural pathways. Uh, lots of great programs out there you can research. I do want to move on to to the participation of research. Uh, Dr. List talks about the importance of participating in research early in your journey with PD. Uh, we, we've kind of touched on that. Dr. St. Hilaire, uh, what, what are some of the observation? Uh, what's the difference between an observational study and a clinical trial? So um, there's research there for all, you know, all types of different research, depending on what you want to do. So an observational study, which is like the PPMI study we've been talking about, which is the biomarker study, is... Um, we, we don't do any intervention. So you, the person comes to uh, our center uh, every six months and we just examine them and we do some blood tests, urine tests, test the spinal fluid, do an MRI or a DAT scan. And we do the usual um, physical exam that you do. You, you have what you see your neurologist, you know, tap your fingers and uh, open and close your hands and your gait. So it, it's really um, getting data, getting data on how Parkinson progresses. And it's put in a big database that can be accessed by any researcher trying to find a biomarker, um, trying to find, uh, you know, some links about progression or risk factors. So this is an observational research. It's just gathering data without doing any intervention. Then clinical trials is there, means that there is an intervention, which means that somebody is doing something to you to help the symptoms of Parkinson. So for example, there's a big trial that will start funded by NIH called the SPARKS-3 study, where they will um, get a group of people who have Parkinson disease, uh, they, they will have them do uh, intensive exercise and compare if the disease progresses more slowly in this group of patients compared to a group of patients who doesn't do as much exercise. So it's really an intervention because the group of people who will do intensive exercise, you know, it's an intervention. We, they will be under the supervision of physical therapists and neurologists. There's also clinical trials of medication. Um, there are trials now of medication to slow down the progression of the disease. There's also many uh, trials of medication to help certain symptoms of Parkinson, trials of medication to help depression and Parkinson or cognition and Parkinson. So there, there are even trials of interventions such as cognitive behavioral therapy for depression and Parkinson. 
So there are all types of trials. You have to really find a trial which which you feel comfortable. It could be a, a clinical trial, an observational trial, it could be a medication trial, an exercise trial. Um, there is for all every taste, but it definitely we will not find any any cure or any better treatment if the people who have Parkinson's don't participate in trial. Really, the participation, everybody is really important. Yeah, and at this point, I'll mention that there is uh, 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 on the Fox website, the Michael J. Fox Foundation, and there's also another website called uh, Fox Trial Finder. So if you sign up for that, they'll show you different trials that are coming up in your area. So Fox Trial Finder. Uh, I do want to talk to Phil here. Phil, what's it been like enrolling in PPMI? It's been an amazing, it's already been an amazing journey. I've met some unbelievable people that have been extremely supportive. Uh, I've been up in Connecticut at the main facility site twice already. We've gone through a whole series of tests, and they exposed me to what PPMI can offer uh, in terms of doing a DAT scan and developing our baseline, an AV33 machine. But they've also told me about some other research projects that are going on. And by learning about this, it gave me the opportunity to make to broaden out as well as my my reach in terms of participating in the research projects because it, it's not it's not a lot of work but it's 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 meaningful work and it's very rewarding work uh, but it's a great team of professionals that are part of PPMI anyone who's interested I'd be happy if if they'd like to just bounce some questions off me but I, I'm a big fan I, I'm actually scheduled to go back in April. Uh, for the next round of tests and see where how things are progressing or not, hopefully. And uh, but anyone who has any questions about it, uh, first of all, reach out to any one of the folks at Michael J. Fox Foundation, or feel free to try to find me, and I'd be happy to answer any questions they have as well. And Phil, let me just say on behalf of the Parkinson's community, thank you for what you're doing. Appreciate it. Uh, that's we're all in this fight together. Um, I, I do have some questions. I'm going to fire them off. We just have a few minutes left. Uh, uh, Dr. Lisk, does stress uh, trigger uh, more uh, tremors? Yeah, any type of anxiety, emotions, the answer is yes. Okay. In your brain, there's a system for your movement and there's a system for your emotions. The system for your emotions is called the limbic system. The system for your, mo- your motor function is called the motor system. These two systems are interconnected. So when people get angry or nervous or upset, they basically, that feeds into your your tremor. You could think if you were in summer camp or something and you're trying to do a task or you're in some type of, you know, race to do some type of um, fine motor skill, the more nervous you get, the harder it is to do it. So stress and emotions will make any movement disorder that where there's movement involved worse. And the thing yeah, is, you have to treat, treat that, treat that, treat those emotions. Yeah, I, I find when I'm in a stressful situation, my arm will move like this, and I'll start stuttering more, and it's hard to get things out. So it just sort of enhances yeah, all of the problems. It's careful not to go. See, that's where the education part. In this whole, I think, uh, uh, program we're saying education and being involved, and so you don't want to go to your doctor because you're having stress and anxiety and say, give me more cinnamon, because that's not what's making your tremor worse. Right. Uh, Dr. St. Hilaire, what is, uh, the, what is a DAT? You mentioned DAT earlier. Can you explain that? A, a, sorry, can you repeat the question? A DAT scan? What is a DAT scan? A DAT scan, oh yes. So a DAT scan is a dopamine transporter scan it is a way to differentiate primary Parkinsonism from other forms of Parkinsonism. So it's not specific to Parkinson's disease. So it, any type of Parkinsonism, such as multisystem atrophy or progressive supranuclear palsy, will be positive. So it just tells you you have a primary Parkinsonism uh, versus a secondary Parkinsonism. For example, if you have Parkinsonism caused by medication, certain medications for depression can cause Parkinsonism, well, then your DAT scan would be normal. So um, it also differentiates between primary Parkinsonism and another condition called essential tremor. 
And sometimes when people have a complex type of tremor, it's difficult clinically to know if this is really Parkinson tremor or essential tremor. So the DASCAN is useful to, to differentiate those, but it will not be useful to differentiate between the different forms of primary Parkinsonism. Great. I'm going to give you the last word uh, to uh, our, our, our buddy, Phil. Phil, uh, wrap this up for us. Um, this has been extremely helpful. I just wanted to make one last very important point. As already mentioned, it's important about when you go to your doctors to bring a list of your questions and track things, as you've talked about, Larry, what you do and all. But the other thing that I found extremely beneficial is bringing my, my life partner with me, meaning my wife, who sleeps with me every night, because she fills in the blanks about things, and the doctors have said to us, this is great, because, of course, you're sleeping and you don't know. But uh, she obviously monitors what goes on during the day and points out those things. So that would be the last point I would like to make to the, the newly diagnosed person. Uh, again, life partners are critical. Uh, yeah, it's really important. And they, they have a different perspective that the doctors really appreciate. Yeah. Uh, I want to thank all of you for being here and for being a part of our community. It's, uh, it's great talking to you. We could go for hours, I think. Uh, and thanks to our panelists for, for sharing your time and your expertise. Uh, we'll be sending a link to the webinar uh, on demand so you can uh, listen and watch again and, and share as you like. Uh, and we hope you, you found it uh, very helpful. Uh, stay safe, stay connected, uh, and uh, be well. Thanks for listening. Community members like you are bringing us closer than ever to a world without Parkinson's disease. Learn how you can support the Michael J. Fox Foundation in its mission at michaeljfox.org. This is Michael J. Fox. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Learn more about the Michael J. Fox Foundation's work and how you can help speed a cure at michaeljfox.org.